Well, it's a great delight to be here this morning. Um, it's always hard to listen to those kinds of introductions. Um, because you often feel in your own heart that's, that's really nice, but it's not true. Um, but I've looked forward to an opportunity to be able to speak in chapel. This is my first time. And uh, I delight to have the opportunity to share with you from the Word of God. I almost wore black today. But I decided that God is sovereign, and we'll just have to rest in that and pray diligently, right? Would you bow with me as we have a word of prayer? Our Father, what a great joy it is to open your word this morning. We've heard for many weeks the voices of men speak as they've run for political office. But Father, today we want to hear you speak and ask that you might teach us and build into our lives the kinds of principles that will guard our name. We ask, Father, that we might honor you every day in the way we live. We ask that we would give you glory by the way we guard our life. So, Father, we would pray that this morning you might lead us into the truth of the Scriptures and, and be honored in our response to it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Three men entered a restaurant one day. They each sat at the counter ordered a bowl of soup. One was an Englishman, one was an American, one was a Scotsman. When their order arrived, each of their bowls of soup had a fly in it. The Englishman, being as proper as they are, called the waitress over and said, my soup has a fly in it, can I have another bowl of soup? No problem, she brought him another bowl of soup. The American sitting there looked in and saw the fly swimming around just took his spoon and lifted it out, put it on the side, and went on eating his soup. The Scotsman looked in and saw the fly in there, and he gingerly reached in and grabbed that fly and said, Spit it out, spit it out, spit it out. It's interesting what we associate with people, right? The English are so proper. Americans were a little looser. Scotsmen are frugal. Names and titles are very important. What is in a name? What is the fragrance of your name? When people hear your name, what do they think of? There was a successful and courageous military leader in the American cause who was born on January 14, 1741, in a distinguished Rhode Island family. He became a druggist and a bookseller and was involved in general trade. And at the beginning of the American Revolution, he became the captain uh, of the militia, a uh, captain in the militia in Connecticut. Later he became a colonel. He, with Brigadier General Montgomery, led a, led a raid on Quebec. And in that raid, Montgomery was killed. 
However, this man, in a desperate attempt in a blinding snowstorm after being wounded in his leg, kept a tight blockade on the city throughout the winter and defeated the enemy. He was later promoted to Brigadier General. In another battle, he became a hero. But Congress passed him over. Congress decided to promote five other men, junior in rank to him, to Major General. Later, he was again treated poorly by Congress, and consequently, he resigned from the military. However, George Washington asked him to come back and be a part of the military, and he agreed, and eventually he was promoted to Major General. Later in a great military campaign, he was attention, uh, after a military campaign, he was intentionally overlooked again in a report, and when he objected, he was removed from his command. Later, he rallied a group of people together, won a battle that he wasn't even authorized to win. As a result, he was restored to Major General and considered a great hero and was given the command at West Point. However, because he had an extravagant lifestyle, because he longed for social standing, he ended up marrying a British loyalist's daughter. And because he was so angry over the repeated slights of Congress, he made a deal with the British to betray his post at West Point. He was promised 20,000 pounds if successful, 10,000 pounds if unsuccessful. However, in the process of betraying his post, the man that he was working with, one of the British loyalists, was killed. And consequently, the rest of the British loyalists tur turned on him. He eventually only received 6,315 pounds for betraying his country. And he died in England on June 14, 1801, at the age of 60, inactive, ostracized, and he died of a lung disease. You all know his name? Benedict Arnold. Here was a man who surprisingly was a great hero at one time, and all of a sudden now his name is synonymous for what? A traitor. How quickly a name can change. What's in a name? What do you think of when you hear John MacArthur? What do you think of when you hear Billy Graham? When you hear Mercedes-Benz, Volkswagen? What do you think of when you hear John Wooden, Richard Nixon, Judge Thomas, Anita Hill? What are the images that are conjured up in your mind when you hear those names? A name is very, very important, and we should learn to guard our names. You corrupt your name, if I corrupt my name, it may take years to change the opinions that are associated with that, and it may never change. Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7? As we look at this great passage, I want us to think of one major theme. 
Christians are to build a good reputation through adversity. Christians are to build a good reputation through adversity. Christians are to build a good name as they live through the difficulties of life. As we think about that, I want you to think about what's in your name. When people hear your name, what do they think? This particular section in, in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 14, is a poetic section. It's a section that we should be looking at line upon line upon line upon line as we evaluate the Hebrew parallelism. I'm not going to take the time to develop all of that this morning. But what I want us to do is to look at the principles in this passage that will help us guard our reputation, that will help us secure a good name if we listen to what is here and practice what is here. In, in chapter 6, verse 12, he asks two questions, and I believe this particular section that we'll look at will answer these two questions. The two questions are this, who knows what is good for man during his lifetime, during the few years of his life, and who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? The first question is answered throughout the first 14 verses. If you notice in the very first verse of chapter 7, he says, a good name is better than a good ointment. And every time you see that word better in the, in the text here, it's, it's another form of the word good. So you could say a good name is gooder than a good ointment. He goes on, a day of one's death is gooder than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning in verse 2. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Verse 5, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man. Verse 8, the end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Verse 11, wisdom along with an inheritance is good. He is going through and he's answering this question, what is good during man's lifetime? But he also is asking, answering this question, who can tell a man what will be after him? In verse 14, at the very end of it, he, he says this, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. So in the process of answering those two questions, I think he, he, he elevates, one thing that is of primary importance for us, and I think it's in verse 1, and I think verse 1 is the topic sentence of this particular poetic section, that a good name is better than a good ointment. I want to look at this section in three ways. The problem is in verse 14. The product is in verse 1, and the process is in verses 2 to 14. Look at verse 14 with me for the problem. The problem is this, adversity. He says this, In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider. May I suggest that reputations are made, reputations are destroyed, repu reputations are built on how we handle difficulties in our lives. I mean, a lonely husband with a critical wife can choose to divorce her, can choose to have an affair, or he can choose to learn to love and forgive his wife. How his character develops and the name that is attached to that character comes along with how he handles that adverse time. A person who feels like they need more money might cheat on their taxes 
or learn to handle finance or learn to live with laughter. A person who feels like they've been dealt with unfairly can become bitter or they can learn to forgive and serve. The adverse time in our life, and all of us are in adverse time, will be the avenue for which we develop our name. What adverse times are you in? What kind of circumstances, what kinds of emotions, what kind of situations, what health problems do you have? What kind of difficulties are you having in relationships that you're struggling with? Those particular times now, that time in your life now, is a time for developing a good name. Now I realize that godly living by us will be interpreted differently by different people. And we should realize that pursuing purity and virtuous living will result in opposition and slander of our names at times, won't it? We must rest in the sovereignty of God at that point. But we should also recognize that we're not perfect and we are going to make mistakes in judgment. However, we cannot say to ourselves, well, I'm not perfect, I may as well excuse myself, and not be careful of the judgments we make. We have to be careful to guard our name. And the ultimate judge of your name and my name is not people, but God. What does God think of when He hears your name and mine? See, your name will be developed or it will be destroyed by the adversities of your life, by the difficulties and the trials you face. That's the problem. What's the product? Look at verse 1. The product that comes out of learning to deal with adversity, we hope, is a good name. A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. This is your reputation, your name. You know, ointments are very nice, aren't they? Even necessary. Perfumes, deodorant, right guard. I mean, can you imagine what this place would be like? All of you here, without some of that stuff that sprays or sticks, you know? We need, we need ointments. We need perfumes. They're very, very nice. But it's interesting, this word for ointment and this word for perfume is a word that is related to a costly fragrance that only the rich can afford. What are you saying here is that a good name is better than a costly, well-pleasing fragrance because you're wealthy. A good name is better than being having the nicest smells around being able to provide everything you want in life because you're a wealthy individual. Solomon, at the beginning of his life in Song of Solomon 1.3, writes this, Your oils have been a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Your name is like a purified oil. That was the early part of his life. 
Notice what he writes toward the end of his life in Ecclesiastes 10.1. He says this, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. It doesn't take much to destroy a good fragrance. Just a few bad flies. Let me ask you, when you hear the name of Solomon, what do you think about a man who was wise, but a man who corrupted himself? Proverbs 22.1 says this, A good name is to be desired more than great riches. Now notice what he says in the second half of verse 1, And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. The parallelism here basically says this, The end, how you end life is better than how you begin life. A good name when you die is better than having all the riches of the world when you're born. It's very important how we end life. Too many people today are not looking to the end. They're living for the moment. And they're making decisions and judgments and choices in the midst of their adversities that are like flies that are stinking up their reputation. Your reputation will be fully developed when you die. And you cannot change your name once you're dead. You see, Christians have to learn to build good reputations in the midst of adversity. The problem is adversity. The goal or the product that we want is a good name. But how do we build it? How do we go about guarding our life so that we don't make the kinds of mistakes that are being made repeatedly in the church today? Well, let me give you the process. You might want to jot these down. If you're going to develop a good name, you must have, first of all, a concern about life or a seriousness about life. That's in verses 2 to 4. Notice what he says in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. It is better to be a little more serious about life than frivolous. It is better to spend time in a funeral home than at a party place. Because you know what? You and I are going to die. It's no surprise unless the Lord comes back. That is the end of our life. But most of us really don't believe we're going to die, do we? At least not today. Or tomorrow. Maybe later. When I'm about 80. Most of us don't have that kind of perspective that today could be the last day of your life. He just says it's better to be in the house of mourning. That's not a popular thing today. Notice what he says in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when the face is sad, a heart may be happy. Let me translate the second line a little 
more literally. For when a face is sad, it is good for the heart. Seriousness doesn't mean that you're not happy. Seriousness doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life. I'm not talking about morbid living. I'm just talking about a perspective on life that has a little more serious bent to it that says there are ultimate realities that are going to come when people die. You and I only have a few years to make an impact for Christ. Just a few years. And we can be frivolous and we can laugh it off and we can play around and miss in the early years of our life maybe the joy of being so involved in the serious realities of life. We all know the tears of a clown, don't we? Oh, they laugh all the time, but deep inside they're miserable. Here he says it's just the opposite. People who are able to look at the serious realities of life, it is good for their heart. Notice what he says in verse 4. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. We should be people who are more interested in serious realities than we are in interested in pursuing pleasure. You know, I think today that, that in many, many Christians believe that once they are saved, God has saved them to pursue pleasure. When it's just the opposite of what Jesus said, that if you want to come after me, you have to learn how to put some limitations on your life, deny yourself. You have to learn to face the serious realities of life by taking up your cross. But too much of Christianity today is full of frivolous playing around. I had a girl come to me when I was in seminary who, who wrote who did a lot of typing for me, not writing. I wrote the papers. She typed them. And one night she came to my house to type one of my papers and she was drunk. Christian girl. And she just kind of staggers to my door and knocks on the door and I meet her. And I said, what, what's, what's happened? She said, well, I live another life. At my work, I'm known as the, the, the business lush because they like to party and I go and party and I drink it up and, and I have just a great time. And I'll never forget her comment to me. She says, I'm so sick of my life now and my reputation now. But she said this, all I wanted to do is have a little fun. So, We're not careful and we don't monitor the fact that we are very easily led to pursue pleasure, we're going to pursue the things that lead us into making bad judgments. If the bottom line to your life is that you want happiness and you want pleasure and you want all pain removed, 
you're going to move into a realm where you're going to make bad judgments. I'll never forget the reality of, of this principle of having a serious mindset. When I was 19 years old, I was in the Army, stationed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, or Fort Lost in the Woods, Missouri, one or the other. And while I was there, one morning I got up to shave and hanging in the shower was one of the guys I was with. He hung himself and died. I'll never forget what, what happened to my life that day. I was kind of a happy-go-lucky, free-for-all kind of guy. I had no perspective on the end reality of life until I saw him hanging there. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. There is something more important to life than having fun. People are dying without Christ. The church all too often is partying it up and mucking up their reputation in the process. And I say, if you want to develop a good reputation, you must first of all have a concern about life, a serious side to your life. Secondly, you must listen to the counsel of the wise. You must listen to the counsel of the wise. Verse 5 and 6 says in verse 5 that it, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For the crackling of thorn bushes under a for as a crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. We have to be people who are open to counsel. A fool will tell you what you want to hear. So that you will continue in your wrong behavior. A fool will tell you what you want to hear. The fool's voice, he says here, is like a burning, crackling... Don't go to a Judas and let him kiss you and destroy you. But go to a wise person who will tell you and give you wise counsel as you're going through the adversity of your life. How to handle it. What to do. Thirdly, not only we're to have concern about life and counsel of the wise, thirdly, we're to be incorruptible by bribes. Incorruptible by bribes. Verse 7. He says, For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Can I say that this is basically... Turning away from evil, easy outs. Turning away from evil, easy outs. What do I mean? When we're in the midst of adversity, what do you look for? A way to get out, don't you? Don't I? I do. Sure, I'm in difficult times. I'm looking for the best and the fastest and the easiest way out. Unfortunately, most of those options that are for quick deliverance from pain are oftentimes very, very evil choices. 
A bribe provides the easy out. Someone offers you an easy out, you follow it, you've corrupted your heart. That's what he says. I mean, he says, oppression, being weighed down, makes a wise man mad. It'll take, it'll take a wise person and corrupt him. I don't like being alone. I'll, I'll date a non-Christian. He's a good person. There's the bribe. You know when you do? It shows that you have a corrupt heart. It reveals the nature of your heart. The bribe, the temptation was out there, you bought it and it shows the nature of your heart. I have a friend who's a leader in a church. He also does a lot of building. And he said to me, I cannot make a profit at my business if I pull permits. So I don't. He builds his business. He's, he's a very wealthy man now. He's built all sorts of riches and he has not pulled a permit on anything that he has built. You know what I say? Corruption. It is so easy. We were having a water heater put in our house. <laughs> you know, we couldn't get the plumber to pull the permit. He wouldn't do it. He says, I can't make a profit doing that. It takes too long. And so the easy way for me is just to say, oh, okay, just put it in. And you know what? That corrupts my heart. I bought into the bride, the easy out. Oh, when we're oppressed, when we're pushed under pressure, it is so easy to hear the bribe and to accept it. And when you do, you've corrupted your heart, which will eventually lead to a corrupted reputation. How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with grief? How do you deal with the adversity that you're going through right now? How do you deal with it? Follow the temptations and the bribes that are brought your way? Or do you follow God's will no matter what it costs? You may have been a wise man, but if you buy the bribe, you no longer are. You're corrupt. Can I say that the problem that we encounter when we're in the midst of difficulty is that we're not patient people. We have difficulty holding back. We have difficulty enduring. And that's going to lead to his fourth point. He says, not only is there concern about life, a counsel of the wise, that we should be incorruptible by bribes or temptations, but fourthly, we should have a calm spirit. Calm spirit. The ability to develop patience. Look at verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. We should be people who look at ends and be patient for them to come. 
What is God going to develop in my life through this adversity? Lord, I'll wait it out. I'll endure it to the end. I had a phone call this morning just before I came from a mother regarding her daughter. She said, will you call my daughter? I believe my daughter is on the verge of suicide. Christian girl who professes to be a Christian, her husband just left her and has filed for divorce. And she says, she has said to me in the past, life isn't worth living. I can kill myself and go to heaven. You know what? I'm not sure that's true. It's, it's those who endure to the end that are, what? Saved. Is that enduring? We have to have the ability to be able to endure through the difficulties of life. Being patient. And believe that the end result that God is working is good. David says, what, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. God promises good results. But you know the other difficulty while we wait, under pressure and under difficulty, what is the, next, what is the temperament that we often develop? Bitterness and anger. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. We have to say that I will endure this adversity and I will endure it with a good attitude, with a heart of forgiveness, with a heart that's not angry at me or someone else or God. I'm just going to endure, understanding that the end result, God is working for good. And I will trust in that, and I will look to that, and I will endure difficulty until He gets me there. No anger. Look at verse 10. And do not say, why is it that former days were better than these? For it is not of wisdom that you ask about this. And, and don't look back and say, oh man. It was just so much easier then. That's not wisdom. Because we forget. I look back on my college days and I say, boy, it's sure easy then. Wasn't it easier for you before you got to college? Life has always seemed easier back then. But it's not. It's not. We just forget. Don't live in the past. Live with the right attitude now. Plan for the future and learn from the past. Don't live in it. Can I tell you what I believe patience is? Patience is the ability to continue to love and serve others while you yourselves are hurting and being provoked. It's the ability to love and serve others while you yourself are hurting and being provoked. We were doing an addition on our house. Not an addition, I say a, re a reconstruction on our house. And I had to deal with City Hall. 
I pulled a permit, and it took me a year to the day to finally get the permit approved. I wish I could just take the time to even highlight what went on in this process. But finally, about halfway through this thing, six months into this thing of taking it down and them rejecting it and giving me things to do and going and getting them done, bringing it back and them rejecting it, I'm on my way in the car going, oh, I'll get it this time. And I go walking in. You know, and I'm upset, and I'm mad, and I'm, I'm ready to get in the battle. You know what? No permit. Now we need you to do about five more things. And I often wonder what they must have thought. Here comes Richard Malcolm again. Finally, after a year of this, I'm driving down, and I am livid. I'm driving down there, and it dawns on me about halfway down. He says, you know, Rich, you've never once thought about how to love the people that are, that are provoking you. And you've never thought about serving them. So I went down there, and when I arrived down there, I thought, I'm going to make it my goal today to love and serve those people, whether they give me the permit or not. I'm just going to have fun loving them. And I had an appointment set up with a guy for for him to go over my stuff. And I got there, and when I got there, he had scheduled two appointments at the same time. Test. So I looked at him and I said, you know, I think those kinds of mistakes happen. I'll tell you what, you know, you make the best judgment and I'll go with what you say. The other guy, how could you do this? Well, you know who he's going to choose. He doesn't want to deal with him. He chose me. He said, you go home, make another appointment. I had it in my permit. He said, do you know that your permit expires today? And then you have to go all through the process again. I had no clue. This guy, Muslim, had been antagonistic to me every time I'd come down there over a year's time. And I said, no, I didn't know. But I'll do what, what you think is right and wise and we'll just deal with it. He said, just a minute, have a seat here. He was gone for an hour. You know what he did? He ran my permit through all the stations and got it all proved and said, here, you can go. Now, it doesn't always have that kind of fairy tale ending, you know? <laughs> but I was going, you know, you know, there's something to wanting to love and serve the people that are provoking you. There's something to that for me and for them. I'm glad he did that. But he might not have, and then the test would have been even greater. Patience is the ability to love and serve while you yourself are in pain and are being provoked. Because when you lose patience, your reputation gets messed up. Because you start getting angry, you get upset, you walk around bitter with people, and people are just going to see you and say, you know, there's a person just kind of bitter angry, doesn't trust God very well. Notice the fifth element. Use the complement of wisdom in verses 11 and 12. Use wisdom. 
He says, wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Not only are we to listen to the wise, but we are ourselves supposed to use wisdom. Be wise. He says, wisdom with an inheritance is good. Because, you know, if you're wise and you have an inheritance, you know what to do with what you've got. Good. Wisdom like money is in a shadow or is a protection. Wisdom like money can shade you from greater difficulty. However, money can't preserve your life. It is only the tool of wisdom to preserve your life with it. You can use money, maybe, as you're wise to preserve your life. But wisdom allows you the ability to see into the true nature of things and to get God's view of things. See, wisdom is so important because without wisdom, we won't see what God sees. We won't think like God thinks. We won't move into situations the way God would move into. We'll move into them ungodly ways and we will corrupt our reputation. Think if Jim Baker would have been a little wiser, he might have taken a little more caution with what he did. How do you build a good reputation? You have a concern about life, counsel of the wise, you're incorruptible by bribes, you have a calm spirit, you use the complement of wisdom, and last of all, you're a contemplator of God. You're a contemplator of God, verse 13 and 14. You meditate on God's character. You're a person who loves to just think about God. Listen to what he says. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has bent? And in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. We ought to be people who contemplate and meditate on the depth and the riches of our great God. I mean, he's a marvelous God. I mean, if you have a huge God, you can rest your adverse times in his hands. You have a little dinky God, you're going to take over. And when you take over, look out. Consider God. It's, it's my life quest every year to study an attribute of God and to make it my devotion for that year to be studying that attribute for that whole year. Because I want to know God. I know that if I don't know Him, I won't understand about the way He bends my life. And I can't straighten it. Who is able to straighten what He bends? I'm going along on a straight road, and he says, all right, Rick. That's not the way it's supposed, to, it's supposed to go this way. No, I want it to go that way. What does that do? That keeps me trusting him. Because I don't know where he's going to bend my path, and he's going to bend it, and the adversity will come in the bending. And when that bending comes, I have to know my sovereign God who is good and does good and I have to hold on and cling to Him. Otherwise, I'm going to be looking for the bribes. I'm going to be looking for bad counsel. I am going to be ready to buy into a lie that's going to corrupt my name. And there's just too much of that going on. God. 
I say that in the times of adversity, you need to remember that your reputation is being formed. You have to have a serious side about life, not morbid, but just serious. Know that, that death is out there. You're not looking for ease or pleasure. You're looking for the will of God so that you're open to the counsel of the wise, so that you may hear what you don't necessarily want to hear at times, that you're incorruptible by bribes so that you aren't being led down temptation's row looking for the easy way out of the pain that you're in when God's will says, what? Develop patience and endure and don't be angry. Hold on to wisdom and to me. And I'll see you through. What do you think of when I say, Jimmy Swagger? And there's a whole lot of other names we can put in there, isn't there? Four of my pastor friends fell in almost two weeks' time. Four. And I, can, I can't even count on my hands anymore the people that I know that have disqualified themselves from ministry because of not guarding their name by certain steps. But can I tell you something? I'm really not concerned about your name. And I'm not so concerned about my name as I am concerned about the fact that I represent God. It's His name. Do you realize that God is staking His reputation in you and me and the world is only going to know God and, have a re and see His reputation by the way we live? It's His reputation that's in stake through your reputation and mine. What does the world think of God because of Jim Swagger? What does the world think of God because of you? What does the world think of God because of me and the way I live? I mean... 2 Timothy 2.19 says that let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. If you're going to name the name, live the life, don't corrupt the name by corrupting your name. Folks, I get pretty exercised about this. I know you can't tell. Because I just see it all across the board. Christians divorcing. Christians having affairs. Christians choosing to lie and cheat. Christians choosing to do illegal matters. Christians is doing things after one after another. And the name of Christ is being degraded and undishonored. Can't help but think a little bit about the election. I hope, I hope you are people, as well as I hope I am, that we understand and discern, discern the power of the media. 
I personally believe the media shifted the tide of the whole election. I believe the media has shifted the morality of our country. And we must understand and discern that. We've got to see that all elements of the media are not out to promote godliness. They're not. But not only that, I believe that because of this election, morality in our country will change. And my point is this. Because the media and politics, and not only these, the morality of our country, I believe, will decline that is going to affect us individually. It will be harder for us to remain moral and holy in the world to come because of the erosion that gradually takes place through the media and secondly, by the blatant greater opposition that's going to come through politics to us. The kind of opposition that wounds our spirit. You and I must be on our guard. We must protect and preserve our good name through the severe difficulty that's going to be facing the church subtly and blatantly in the months ahead. And when our name is corrupted, God's name is corrupted. And when His name is corrupted, the gospel has little value to a lost world. It rests by God's grace on our shoulders to protect our name. Will you pray with me? Father, we would ask that you would build into our own hearts and lives the seriousness of this passage and the thrust and the value of our name. Father, sustain us in the midst of adversity and in the midst of difficulty. Make us wise and discerning. Make us people who have a serious attitude about life and yet pursue through adverse times with patience and with grace. May we hold on to you and have your wisdom in the days ahead. And Father, may our name bring glory to your name and may your name be declared through the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. Take these truths and seal them in our heart for the glory of your great name. Amen. Your